Hello, you're listening to the Australian Writers' Centre podcast on writers and writing. My name's Valerie Koo and you can find us online at writerscentre.com.au. We're Australia's leading writing centre and you'll find a wealth of resources on our website and blog, including interviews with authors, writing tips and valuable ideas on how to get published and write with confidence. Whether you're interested in writing a novel, short story or articles for magazines, you'll find information and courses to help you get there. Or if you want to hone your business writing skills, we can help you too. Our presenters are the best in the industry. Our team is passionate about all things writing and in these podcasts, we'll be talking to best-selling authors on their craft. We hope you enjoy today's podcast. Hi, I'm Danielle Williams from the Australian Writers' Centre and today I'm speaking to Graham Simpson about his first novel, The Rosie Project. Welcome, Graham. Thanks for joining us. Uh, first of all, tell us a bit about The, Rose, the Rosie Project. OK, well, The Rosie Project is coming out um, on 30th of January, um, in Australia at least, and then in another 32 mm. countries um, down the track in various languages. Um, it's the story of a socially challenged genetics professor who sets out to find himself a, a life partner, a wife, scientifically. So armed with a 16-page double-sided questionnaire, he sets out to find himself the perfect woman. And as is the way of these things, um, he doesn't succeed, of course, with, in his original intent, but he meets a woman um, who ticks none of the boxes on the questionnaire. She's a smoker, she's a barmaid, all the things that he doesn't want. Uh, but he finds himself strangely attracted to her. And she enlists his help as a genetics professor to help trace her biological father. So they have a reason for being together, and that subplot, as it were, who is her father, um, keeps the momentum going, I guess, through the book, as the two of them get to know each other, and, well, you can probably yes. predict how it ends up. Yeah. Um, now, the professor, Don, yep. um, is an interesting character, charming in his own way. Um, you have mentioned that you know, he's, he's based on a lot of people you know in academia who are possibly undiagnosed Asperger's yep. uh, sufferers. I don't know if that's even the right word. Um, but I just wonder how much of Don is based on your observation of these people and how much on research of people with Asperger's. Okay. Um, far more on observation far, far more on observation than on research, although I did a, a, a fair bit of reading, mainly personal accounts um, of people with Asperger's Syndrome, and you'll notice in the book we never actually say he has it, although I'm sure, that, that, yes, I'm sure that if he walked into a psychologist's office within 30 seconds, that's the diagnosis they would make. But I didn't want, for all sorts of reasons, I didn't want to put a label on him. Um, but where he came from, um, there are people like Don in academia I've worked and information technology. That's a classic place you find them. Um, but I had the voice of a particular friend, an information technology technician, in my mind when I created the Don character. Now, Don has travelled a long way since then, but he was in many ways my reference point. Don is very amusing. Um, I think humour is kind of a key thing in this book. Um, but then, did you ever feel like you had to, you were walking a bit of a fine line, you didn't want to make fun of him but you also needed to keep the humour there. How did you manage to 
keep that balance? I, I thought very, very hard about this because if you say, which we don't, that Don has um, Asperger's syndrome, then are we, and we're going to laugh at him, and we're going to laugh at him for things that he does related to Asperger's syndrome, um, or that are characteristic of Asperger's syndrome, then are we making fun of the handicapped, mm. as it were? Um, and look, I characterise Don as being wired somewhat differently from most people, but nevertheless he is a, a functioning person who's doing well, except in this thing that he wants to achieve, which is to find himself a life partner. So I read him as, as you would any dramatic character or comedic character. He's somebody who wants something, he doesn't have all the tools to get there, in this case social skills, and he's going to have to learn them. Yeah. Um, so, and, and we laugh along the way as, as he tries to do that. Um, so I never felt that I was making fun of somebody less fortunate than me or even different from mm. me. Um, we were laughing at the person's inadequacies, but we all have inadequacies. Mm. Yeah. And, and particularly, sometimes we're laughing at ourselves because we realise that, you know, why wouldn't you do it Don's way? You know, maybe he's the more rational one. He's the one who's got his meals organised, who isn't spending all his time wondering what to buy at the market, what's fresh today, and getting on with his, and getting on with the important things in his life. Mm. He's the one who's prioritised. Yeah. We think, okay, he's different, <laughs> but but some of the times we're laughing at ourselves that, that he's smarter than us. Yes, definitely. I've, I've felt that way a few times. Um, can, I, can, I just, can I just add to that? I, I was still insecure, nervous about had I made fun of people. Um, who I certainly didn't want to make fun of. But I, have run, I ran the manuscript past several people, um, some who would self-describe as having Asperger's syndrome or have been diagnosed with it, and more people who had family members, kids typically, but sometimes husbands, um, with Asperger's. And without any exceptions, they came back and felt that not only was it, it accurate, but it was funny and appropriate and sympathetic. Hmm. Did you manage to achieve that on you know, your first finished manuscript or was it a workshopping process? That I achieved on my first manuscript okay. yeah. um, and it came, it came from a screenplay and right from the beginning I think because um, I always um, I always loved Don so I was always sympathetic and positive about Don but also always made him a strong person who was motivated. I never looked down on Don as someone to be pitied and when I got to the book it made it much easier because I chose to write in first person an awful lot of books about people who are different um, are written, and screenplays as well, are written from the perspective, a point of view of somebody else. So I think of Rain Man, for example. It's a Tom Cruise character that we asked to identify with, not the Dustin Hoffman person. You couldn't really identify with the Dustin Hoffman person. Um, but in Asperger's films, um, Snowcake, the Canadian film, um, with Sigourney Weaver, um, you are not asked to identify uh, with Sigourney Weaver, you're asked to view her from the Alan Rickman character from the outside. Um, I wanted this to be in there and to, to relate. Yeah. So, because this is was originally a screenplay, at what point did you decide it was a novel? Was it the opportunity to get inside Don's head rather than watch him? It was, turning the novel was driven by two things. One was the purely pragmatic idea of marketing the screenplay. Um, that it, the, it's very hard to get a film made. Having a novel out there can help. And the second thing was I'd always nursed a desire to write a novel. I didn't think I could do it. But I enrolled in a, um, at the beginning of last year, around this time last year, I enrolled in a class in novel writing at RMIT. And you know, I was very intimidated. 
But I thought, okay, at least I've got the screenplay here. I've got the story. I've got the characters. All I have to learn, um, all I have to learn is um, the art of, um, of writing the novel. Yeah. Um, so I didn't have to take quite as big a step as if I had to come up with characters, plot, subplots, and so forth. So how challenging was it to make that switch to writing a novel, even though you had your characters? It's a very different way of writing. I found it dead easy. Oh, okay. There you go. It's an, it's an honest answer. I mean, I did not find the total creation of this dead easy. I went through all sorts of stuff, but all of that pain was in writing the screenplay. The translation to novel, once I started, it just flowed. I, I was worried. I didn't know whether Don's voice was something that would be sustainable. Um, I'd already written a short story, but I didn't know whether it was sustainable beyond that. Once I got going, I took it to my class. I said... Having read the t these 2,000 words, do you want to read more? And they said, yeah, show us the rest of the chapter. I thought, beautiful. And from then on, I just sat down and just churned it out. Right. So do you think you'll stick with novels and short stories now? Or is there um, still a desire to make films? Look, I think my focus will be on, um, on novels. But I've done some hard yarns now with screenwriting. And I'm expecting that this will be made as a film. So I will return to the screenplay. I have already returned to the screenplay. And hopefully hone my craft with input from serious mm -hmm. players, which would be great. And, and I think sometimes different stories um, suit different media. So I've written short plays, for example. And some stories are, are play stories. And some stories are, are film stories. Yeah. Um, so I guess it'll be what story I want to tell and what I feel the appropriate way of doing it is. Mm. Um, I just want to talk a bit more about your path to publication because yeah. it's been quite spectacular. <laughs> just tell us about what happened after you won the Victorian Premier's Award for an unpublished manuscript. What was the next step after that? Okay, I'm going to just change your question just a little. Okay. It was getting shortlisted that mattered for me. Right. So when I got shortlisted, suddenly there was interest. I had already submitted um, the book to two um, slush piles, three slush mm. piles, one sort of by invitation which was text, um, but you know, it had only been there for a few weeks, it was sort of languishing there. Once I got shortlisted, I let those players know that that had happened, and everybody was galvanised, at least into reading it, and, and from then on, the, winning the award was nice, it brought one additional publisher on board, or, or persuaded one publisher to, to look again. Um, I had, because the word got around with the shortlisting, um, I had a couple more publishers approach me, so I had four or five, five publishers, one of whom chose not to proceed, um, interested in the book, um, and all talking to me. So at that point, I didn't have an agent, but I've got a business background. Um, I didn't want to drag it on too long. I felt it would be inappropriate to go on for weeks and weeks. And so I just said, okay, um, publishers, you're interested. Um, here's the manuscript. If you haven't got it already, come back to me by Friday, Monday, come back to me by Friday with your best offer, and I'll let you know by Monday um, who's the winner. Yeah. Um, in the meantime, feel free to talk to me. I was overseas at the time, and we talked on Skype and so forth, and I have to say text, um, well, text got the gig, and text got the gig fundamentally because they listened mm. to me and talked to me and came up with an offer that met my needs. So, I mean, a lot of people would say that's an enviable position to be in as a first-time author. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. So, I, I'm tremendously aware of that. Um, here I was studying um, a few months 
six months into a, a course in professional writing and editing, and you, you do industry subjects which tell you how to somehow kick the door down, how somehow to get one publisher to look at you and then what to do. And I'm in this unaccustomed situation of having several publishers all making me offers, all making me offers that I would have pretty much cut off my right arm a year earlier um, to, uh, to take. And any one of those offers I would have been very, very happy to proceed with. Um, yeah. So suddenly I was, yeah, it was a fabulous yeah. position to be in. So, I mean, what's that like? Has it been a surprise to you, the, the attention that the book's getting? Um, look, I knew when I'd finished it that I either had something that was going to do very well or not at all. I didn't think it was an in-between thing. Mm. Um, and I gave it to my, my partner, who also writes, and said to her, read it. She read it, the first person to read this the thing I produced. She said, well, what do you want to know? And I said, does it read like a real book? She said, I don't know. Oh, right. <laughs> it's very different, which was exactly what I didn't want to hear. Yeah. And in fact, I submitted it to the Premier's Awards without having any idea. I had no feedback from anybody, really, except my wife, daughter, and the guy whose voice I'd sort of channeled for Don. So these were hardly disinterested people. Mm. And then in the meantime, um, a, a former colleague who had a, a begged me to read the manuscript. I let her read it, and she came back and said, it's probably better than you think, Graham. And she was an English lit grad, and one of these okay. middle-aged women who reads a book a week. And uh, I thought, okay. Um, but by the way, I never expected to do well in the, in the Premier's Award. I hadn't regarded this as a literary novel. Mm. The literary word scared me. Um, I was hoping that one of the judges would say, um, hey, this is not for us for the award, but Charlie down the hallway who does popular fiction might be interested. But they yeah. very bravely accepted a book which um, I hope is very accessible. Mm. Yeah. Um, so you've mentioned your background in business. Yeah. Um, but how new are you to writing? So when did you decide that you wanted to be a writer and how long have you been writing before you got to this My stage? first book was published in 1993. Okay. Non-fiction. Non-fiction. <laughs> non yes. yeah. So I have written, but predominantly non-fiction, um, all my life. Um, but I had not written any fiction when I enrolled in the screenwriting course at RMIT. Mm. I had not written any fiction since high school. That was probably about year year ten or whatever. Yeah, yeah. So. So what was the catalyst for that? Why suddenly decide I'm going to get back into this? Um, in 1998, um, so going back a while. I made a vanity film. So I adapted a manuscript, an unpublished manuscript that my partner had written and into a screenplay, just for the hell of it. I'd read um, a book by Joe Queenan um, called The Unkindest Cut, which told the story of making a very low-budget film. Mm. And this seemed like so much fun. So I made a sort of a no-budget film using domestic video gear, but I wrote the screenplay. Now, it wasn't writing original fiction because I was adapting from a partner's work. Um, but I learnt the form of the screenplay and I got some nice feedback on the screenplay from professionals in the industry and it just nagged and chewed away at me and I thought, I can do this. Yeah. And, and even though I really desperately wanted to write a novel deep down, I didn't think I could do it. But I thought I could do a screenplay. So I enrolled in screenwriting. Mm. So it sounds like you've actually taken the reverse path. <laughs> if you think screenwriting was more difficult and you found the novel writing... No, no, screenwriting easy. was easier. It was oh, sorry. In the end, in okay. the end, yeah. yeah. In the end, the actual process of, of 
writing the screenplay for the Rosie project was much, much tougher right. because it was within the screenwriting process that I worked out character and story and themes and so forth. I mean, normally, one would write the novel first and then adapt the screenplay, right. and therefore the novel carries all the burden of coming up with a story, coming yeah. up with characters and so on. All that burden was transferred to the screen, the screenwriting process. So, in a way, I'm sort of conscious that people are interested in how the craft works here. I, I did not think I could write a novel. I was totally intimidated by the scale of it, the craft of it. But I ended up approaching it through a number of baby steps. So first, I could write via my non-fiction. So I could put words and sentences together. Then I did the screenplay, but I was adapting a story that was already there. So all I had to learn there was screenplay craft. Then I got to write short films, um, but my own story. Then a longer screenplay, The Rosie Project, with all those things already in place. And then with that screenplay written, I did that final step with all those characters and themes and plots already in place. I just had to learn just um, how a novel was, what the craft of a novel was, what the form was. So I did it lots of baby steps. Yeah. So is your next project going to be another novel? Yes, it is. And novel from the start? Or will you use I some have, screenwriting I have drafted the next, the next two projects are drafted. Oh, okay. Rough, horrible first drafts, but the, the 70,000 words on the page. Yeah. Um, and they're both novels. Yeah, yeah. Um, so once the Rosie Project phenomenon is over for a little while, yeah. um, do you hope to continue writing full-time? And when will we see another novel from you? Uh, when we see another novel, is largely up to text. Um, as I say, I've got something drafted two novels drafted as we speak and um, they're probably only a few months away from being able to be handed over and you know, after my editing, the best that I can do um, getting the professional input from text editors um, but obviously they've got to do, uh, decide the timing for the marketplace and so on, yeah, yeah. but I think that will yeah, text will have something for the marketplace when they're ready to go hmm. So you're happy to, to keep up this life as a, a full time writer? The first three books, yeah. I've got a yep. three-book contract with text, so we, we are together for that much. I would hope for longer than that. Um, but that's as far as I'm looking at the moment. That's a fair mm -hmm. way to look. And then maybe I'll go, oh, time to do another screenplay. Hopefully, um, during that period, we will be going ahead with the, um, the yep. film. So mm -hmm. we'll, go, we'll return to the screenplay, and um, certainly there's been a lot of interest in that, and that will occupy some of my time mm -hmm. as well. Excellent. Um, just one last question. What is your advice to new writers? Can I have a few pieces of advice here? You can give a few pieces. Okay, let me undermine a piece of advice that is given to writers. Writers are told to write every day, to write something every day. I do not write every day. I do not write most days. I write in big, heavy bursts. But I think about my writing every day. Now, what I would... So, so the first one is, don't take that write every day as some sort of mantra that is absolutely given. There are other ways of working. Um... The second is about having a plan. There are two ways to write a novel. One is that you have a very detailed plan for that novel, a quite detailed plan, and you write within that. The other is you just start somewhere and you let it come out. I'm, I belong to theory number one, and I believe that theory number two, just keep writing, is talk to too many people. What I would say to you is if you're writing, and you say, I'm the sort of person who just starts on page one and just lets it flow, I would say, is it working for you? And if the answer is, well, I'm really struggling at the moment. I've been at this novel, the second novel, for four years and getting nowhere. I'd say, try the other way. 
You know, if it's working for you, by all means, but it is not a natural way to undertake any activity. And if it's not working for you, then I would say try what I would consider a more conservative, conventional sort of approach. Mm. Yeah. Um, and good writing is rewriting. That much, that much is just crucial. Mm. You can always make it better. When I took delivery of the Rosie project, I mean, after the final edit, when, when we're all done and dusted and the editor said, no more, it's done, here it is for the weekend, I incorporated all of her edits, which were fine, dusted. I went through the whole thing again after that, and then I picked it up and I read the entire thing aloud to my partner and still found... In one sitting? In, no, two days, <laughs> okay. two days, but she very graciously listened to the whole thing and she, she's a doctor and she found a couple of medical things that weren't yeah. quite right and we fixed up a couple of little things because when you read it aloud and I took delivery of this and I opened it a random page and looked at it and went, oh no, I should have swapped those two paragraphs. You can always make it better. Yeah, yeah. That's excellent advice, all of them. Um, thanks very much for coming in today. I've oh, loved you, reading The Rosie Project and I love Don and I'm sure it's going to be very successful. Thank you very thanks much. Thanks You've been listening to the team from the Australian Writers' Centre podcast on writers and writing. My name's Valerie Koo. You can find us online at writerscentre.com.au and discover details about our courses, seminars and popular online learning programs where we help students from all over the world. I'm author of the book Power Stories, the eight stories you must tell to build an epic business. And you can find out more on my personal website, ValerieKoo.com. That's Valerie, K-H-O-O.com. Thank you for listening.